I invite you to turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7 can be found in your pew Bibles on page 788. Page 788. Hear what Jesus has to say. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of the Lord. The list for the semester in Spain came out, and you're not on it. Three of your friends are getting ready to make plans to move off campus next year. They need a fourth. It's not you. The softball coach says you had a good tryout, but you didn't make the team. You've had a crush on her for six months. You finally summon the courage to tell her this, and she says, thanks, but no. There are a few things worse than being rejected. There are a few things worse than being told, there is a group of special people, it's not you. There are a few things worse than being told there is a circle of trust and you're not in it. You may remember at the very beginning of the semester, those of you who were here over Labor Day weekend, at the very first loft, we talked about being rejected. You remember the prop that I had? Anyone? Anyone? A kickball, right? And we talked about the pain of not being picked for a team. But we said that these disciples who heard the Sermon on the Mount, they'd been rejected by all the other rabbis, but they'd been picked by Jesus. And the other people who sat here and listened to the Sermon on the Mount, they had been on the margins. Because of illness or injury, it may have been that they weren't allowed to worship in the temple, or they weren't allowed to get married, or they weren't allowed to hold certain kinds of jobs. And Jesus healed them. And suddenly, they were in. And so this is the group of people listening to the Sermon on the Mount. Peter, Andrew, James, John. People who'd been healed. People who'd been restored through Jesus. They're the ones who are gathered around. They're the ones who hear Jesus say, Blessed, blessed, blessed. You are salt. You are light. Don't lust. Don't get angry. Don't swear an oath. Be generous with your money. Give it away, but don't be showy about it. Pray a lot. And when you run stuck, here's a prayer you can pray. And when you fast, don't be showy about it. Just just do it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And suddenly this group on the hill is in. 
And they're getting lessons from Jesus on how to form this new community. And this new community they're seeing has rules. And you know what their big temptation is going to be? You can cast bite on Matthew 7. Judging. Their big temptation is going to be, we're in now. <laughs> we're in. You're out. And suddenly you have all these new standards by which they can evaluate people. Hey, that prayer was way too showy. You're out. You. You're not salty enough. You're out. I heard you swear an oath. You're out. It's so tempting to set up these walls about who's in and who's out. And Jesus knows this. This is why right after he gets done establishing this is how the community is going to be structured, he says, now look, don't judge. Because if you start poking at somebody and saying, oh, I think you're getting a little bit too angry, they can come back at you and say, um, have you checked that lust problem lately? By the measure you give will be the measure you get, he says. Be really aware. You need to be spiritually in a good place, in a holy place, in a humble place. And he does this thing where he, he says, you don't look at somebody and say, oh, you got a little, little something right here? When you've got, like, stuff all over you, he's like, come on. That's the paraphrase. <laughs> he says, don't judge. I know that's going to be your temptation. And it's still our temptation, isn't it? People who are in, people who are out. Republicans are in, Democrats are out. Oh, Democrats are in, Republicans are out. People who wear too tight jeans are out. People who smoke are out. People who raise their hands during worship are in. People who don't raise their hands are out. No, 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 no. People who raise their hands in worship are out. That's so off-putting. Who are those people? Do they think they're more Jesus-y than the rest of us? No, no, no. People who are calm during worship, they're in. It's so tempting. Athletes out, musicians in. Oh, oh, oh. I don't want to look at you because I don't want to judge you, but wow. So tempting. In, out. I would never do that. And everything in our culture tells us that this is a good way to engage. Here, here's popular television show. I'm going to sing and you all judge me. Now I'm going to dance and you all judge me. Now I'm going to do really stupid things with a bunch of other wives from a certain geographical area and you all judge me. <laughs> and so we're cultivated in judgment and we get very good at it. Who's in? Who's out? What's cool? What's not? And suddenly, we're judging. Some of you may have read this week's chimes. Hopefully many of you read this week's chimes. Shout out to chime staff. And maybe you read in there that Calvin was listed as a gay, unfriendly college by the Princeton College Review. And maybe you read the piece by our sister, Becca, who talked about the silence 
on this campus around that issue. And maybe you read the testimony by our brother Zach talking about what it means to live as a gay Christian. Maybe you didn't read it, but you heard about it. Maybe you heard about it and you thought, why is this such a big deal? Why does this even matter? Why do LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, why do LGBT people even come to this college? And, and if it's just these two people who wrote in the paper, why do we need to make safe space for them? I mean, why is this a big deal? A year ago, Calvin College did a survey on sexuality. Those of you who are sophomores, juniors, or seniors may remember taking the survey. We had over 1,600 people respond. And of the 1,600 people who responded, 3% identified themselves as LGBT. 3%. Which means about 120 students. And of that population group, 41% of them had told no one at Calvin that this was part of their story. So there are about 50 people in our community who have a significant part of their story that they don't feel safe to tell. Now the question that Matthew 7 invites us to ask and answer is this one. If one of your friends came to you and said that this was a part of his story, how would you respond? If someone came to you and he said that despite all of his prayers and the counseling that he's received and all of his wishes otherwise, that he finds himself emotionally and physically attracted to other men, what would you say? Now you could say, well, well, we need to know more. We need more data. You need to tell us. Like, what else is he going to say? Is he going to say that, you know, he, he believes that he's called to live a celibate lifestyle? Or is he going to say that he wants to date people? Or is he going to say he wants to get married someday? Like, like what's the rest of the story? And, and then don't I have a responsibility in that moment to tell him what the church teaches on this? Like, isn't that my responsibility? Shouldn't he know that the Christian Reformed Church, maybe other churches, say that the orientation itself isn't a problem, but that genital sexual intimacy between two people of the same sex is? Don't I have a responsibility to tell him that? Maybe. And only if you can answer these two questions in the affirmative. One, does this person know that you love him? Does he know that you want him to flourish? Has he experienced this for months or years? Does he know that you have his back? Does he know that if he needed a kidney, you would give it to him? Does he know you have that level of love and affection and commitment to him? That's the first thing. And second, did he ask your opinion?
the gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgendered students who are here at Calvin, the odds are really good they know what the church says. They know what the Bible says. And in this moment of great risk and vulnerability, this moment of revelation, what they don't need is 27 questions about their hermeneutical interpretation of Romans 1. What they need in that moment is the gift that one of my friends recently received from his friend. He's one of our brothers. He's a student here. And he had the opportunity to tell another friend that he was gay. And when he said the words, always a risk, she looked across the table at him and said, that must be really hard. And he said, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That's exactly what I needed to hear. Matthew 7 invites us to push the pause button on the 10,000 questions we may have when a conversation goes that way and allows us, because this person has presented truth to us, we respond with grace. And it may not be this particular issue that a friend needs to tell you about. There are other heavy things that we carry as individuals. There are lots of other things that if we did other surveys, we would think that people haven't shared this, people haven't told this because they risk being judged. They risk being put on the outside. They risk being told that they're not safe anymore. It may be my mom is an alcoholic and I worry that she's going to drink herself to death. It may be my father sexually abused me, and I just don't know how to negotiate that. It may be I watched porn, and I've actually, I'm ashamed to say this, I've actually acted some stuff out. Can we become the kind of community where if somebody offers us this vulnerable truth about something in their lives, we can receive it with grace. Several years ago, I was walking on a beach with my dearest friend and I had this prompting from the Holy Spirit to confess something to her. And I wanted to say, no, I don't want to. I don't want to tell her that. Please don't make me. The Holy Spirit listens really well to that. <laughs> and I just felt more and more like, oh, I gotta tell her, you gotta tell her. And so I said to her, took a big breath. I said, I'm attracted to someone who's married to somebody else. And she put her arm around me and she said, I'm so glad you told me. And I poured my heart out, and she poured her, her heart out, and we talked together. And this burden that I'd been carrying, this shame that I had felt, you are a clergy person for Pete's sake, you should know better. You, it was just, it was out, and it was free, and it was done. And suddenly, I had this person who knew my heart, and instead of judging, which moves us away from each other, this vulnerability, my truth, her grace, moved us toward each other. And we moved toward each other in prayer and in praise that God has provided us with this kind of relationship relationship 
And ever since then, she knows she can hold me accountable on all kinds of stuff. And she does. And I can do the same for her. That's the kind of community that Jesus wants to establish. And the reason my friend was able to do it toward me is because God in Christ has done it toward her. And the reason that he invites us to do it toward each other is that we get to live out what he has done for us. That when we go to the cross and we pour ourselves out, these things that we want to keep secret, these things that we're ashamed of, these things that we're not sure how people are going to receive them, he is the one who opens his arms and says, come close. Come close. And that's the kind of community he wants to create. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 6. The church in Galatia was troubled. He starts off the letter, he's really mad at them. He gets to Galatians 6 and he says to them, now listen, listen, listen. When you have someone who's gone astray, when you have someone who's caught in sin, when you have someone who's confessed sin, he says, those of you who are spiritual, and by that he means mature and humble, those of you who are spiritual should restore her gently. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Those of you who are spiritual should restore her gently. And then he says, and then don't be tempted. And the inference is that he's saying, and don't be tempted to say, well, I don't have that particular problem. My family life is fine. My sex life is great. I'm generous with my money. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't be tempted. That's why he says, those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are mature, should restore her gently and then be careful so you're not tempted. And then he writes this, Galatians 6. He says, carry one another's burdens and in so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens, and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. What would it look like if when we see a person that every instinct in us wants to judge and push aside, what if we instead imagined what would it be like to have that burden that that person has? And how can I help her carry it? When a person sits across from us and shares something that's incredibly painful for them to share, can we in that moment suspend judgment and move toward grace and help to carry that burden with them and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ? Can we, when someone begins to make downgrading comments about someone else, can we just invite them to pause and imagine what life is like for that person, for that group of people, for the people who believe that or live that or dress that way or dance that way or whatever it is? Can we move toward each other in grace and truth together? And then what does our community look like? Wouldn't it be great if Calvin College were known as the most loving and forgiving college? 
Wouldn't it be nice if, they, if Princeton Review had like a list of like the most grace-filled colleges, right? They probably wouldn't have a list of the most humble colleges. I think that would kind of defeat the purpose. But <laughs> what would it look like if we said we're going to throw all of our energy in being safe space for everybody who's got garbage because everybody's got garbage. Everybody's got stuff. Everybody's got things that they're wrestling with. What if each one of us said today, Matthew 7, in my heart, I'm not going to judge. Galatians 6, I'm going to carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Because that's what God in Christ has done for us. The only way we can do that for each other is because that's what God in Christ has done for us. That's what he did for you. That's why you're here. That's why you can sing. That's why you can pray. That's why you're forgiven. That's why you have life. Because God in Christ has done that for you. And he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can help you do it for each other. Don't you want to be part of that kind of a community? Don't you want to be part of that kind of family? where I know that I can trust you enough with my stuff and you will help me carry it. That's the kind of community that Jesus wants to create at Calvin College and in our churches and in our cities and in his world. In just a minute, I'm going to pray and we're going to hand out baskets that are going to have index cards and pens. And on one side of the card, I invite you to write down a person or a group of people or someone that it's hard for you to love, it's easy for you to judge, and write down, I promise to carry this person's burden, or I promise to pray for this group. And on the other side of the card, I invite you to write down something that you're carrying and ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind somebody who could help you carry it. So on one side, where is the Spirit convicting you? And on the other side, where is the Spirit inviting you to seek some comfort? Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you praise and thanks that because of Jesus Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come. We thank you that you give us new ways of living and being. And we know that in this room, there are those among us who are carrying something that is so heavy and they are so tired. And so Holy Spirit, we pray today that you will use us to carry each other's burdens and in so doing, fulfill this law that Jesus gives in Matthew 7. God, we pray that we become a community that is marked by grace as much as truth. And Lord, we thank you that you never tire of us, but that your work in us goes on and on, that you are constantly taking the old and making it new, taking what's dead and bringing it to life. And we praise your name. And all God's people say, amen.